Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Rowena Wild is a seasoned executive coach with over 25 years experience in the business front lines of the United States, Germany, and England. She's an accredited practitioner and associate with the Academy of Executive Coaches, where she's gained expertise in coaching individuals, teams, NLP and hypnotherapy, masterclass sessions, including challenging and transformational coaching. Tonight, we take whiskey, jazz, and leadership to the United Kingdom as Rowena Wilde shares insights from Cotswold, England, home of the World Whiskey Award-winning Cotswold Distillery. This is straight talk you won't hear anywhere else. I'm Galen Bingham, and this is the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Cheers. All right, so you know what time it is. It's time for another another episode of Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. And for this one, we're going to leave the United States. We're going to go over the pond. I don't know why they call it the pond, but we're going to go over into the UK for this conversation. Really kind of the origin of a lot, right? Because whiskey, we kind of claim some whiskey here in the United States. A lot of good scotch, a lot of good gin, and a lot of good cocktails come from that part of the world. So so why not? I came across this person. I don't even know what to call her. I mean, she's a person. She's an Orc, maybe she is just really got a, she knows a lot about a lot and decided that we would have a conversation kind of offline. And when we had that conversation, there were just so much in common. I felt compelled to actually record that conversation and just put that on this podcast, but decided not to do that. Instead, I want to invite Rowena Wild into this conversation and into this episode of Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. Rowena, welcome, welcome, welcome. I just, I adore the conversation that we had. And as I said so many times, we just had to capture this and share this with our friends. So welcome to the show. Galen, thank you for having me. And and I had a great time with you last time as well. We exchanged lots of ideas and thoughts. And I think we were both curious. And what's interesting, as you said, we come from different sides of the pond. But when it comes, I think, to leadership and all things business, they are so related and tied up 
and then you get the whiskey and the gin. So we're connected. We're connected. I usually start this off by asking a really, really important question. And it's probably the most important question of all of our conversations. And that is, what you drinking? Okay. Well, I'm a gin girl. I know you are a huge whiskey man. And for anyone that's listening, Galen has just shown me his whiskey cellar. I don't know what you want to call it. It's not really a cellar, but he's just shown me, I think he must have a, how many have you got there? 50 different whiskeys? I would say, you know, I probably got 50. Yes, outstanding. Yeah, of of those 50, I'd say probably 80% of them are already open, right? That's amazing. So the only thing that gives me any kind of peace about that is I have my very own gin trolley, which my family bought for me just a couple of years ago. And now um, wherever they go, they buy me gin. So I'm I'm behind you, maybe 25, 30 gins. And a lot of those are open too. And the latest one at Christmas was one with sparkle in it. I like to spread sparkle and they know that. And this gin even had little bits of edible sparkle. How's that? But something for you, Galen. I was so proud. I thought, how can I disappoint him and tell him I'm into gin and not whiskey? How can I do that? And I was thinking, and then it dawned on me, but I've got something to share with you really, really important. So I live in the Cotswolds. For for those people that don't know where the Cotswolds is in England, it's north of Oxford, kind of in the middle of the country. And the Cotswolds are known worldwide for being a beautiful, picturesque series of villages with thatched cottages, absolutely outstandingly beautiful. And in our actual village where we live, we have an award-winning distillery. I suddenly thought, how could I not cotton on? So it's an award-winning gin and whiskey distillery. One day you're going to come and we'll have a whiskey and a gin together in the village at the Cotswold Distillery. Ah, fantastic. That sounds like a date. That sounds like a date. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you, you definitely enjoy your Cotswold gin. This is kind of a favorite of mine, the Old Forester Distillery. I think I've got, I don't know, maybe five different versions of this, but I'm going to go with the Old Forester 1920 Prohibition style. This particular one happens to be 115 proof, so I'm going to have to use this gingerly, but I had to look this up. And so what I'm going to share is not my words. So don't be overly impressed. But uh, the aroma is an intense medley of cherry preserves uh, dripped in caramel and dark chocolate. How can you not love that? That sounds good. Even I confess that. Okay. Okay. And just pour just a little bit. Sounds good. And uh, I am going to just sit here and enjoy this. And uh, while I do, I'm going to ask you, share with me just a little bit about your background. I've already shared a a little bit in the intro, and you and I have connected. And like I said, I just fell in love with the things that we seem to share philosophically. 
Uh, we're both executive coaches, but more than being a coach, which is a whole philosophy, more than being a coach, I just really loved what you had to say about the importance of leadership and some of the principles that you shared. So share a little bit about your background and how leadership has become a passion point for you. Okay. So my background going way back is property. I was in property business for some 30 years. And in those days, being a woman in property, it was tough to get up the ladder. And it's something that that memory of knowing I wanted to be as good as anybody else, and I was as good, I could be as good, has always stayed with me. So it's key for me to help whoever needs to improve themselves and better themselves in whatever situation they are. That's what I I love doing. So in that property arena, I worked uh, around residential and commercial with variety of small and, and big, big businesses. Interestingly, I ended up going back to the very business that I started in, and I started in it because it was one of the best in the UK, and that's where I I wanted to be. Um, Went back to it and worked my way up through that business, um, manager, area managers, director, and eventually became managing director of what at the time was one of the UK's largest property businesses. So very much working with remote teams uh, from very early on, quite used to that. And that means for me, managing through others, leading through others. And of course, we know today that being in the remote workplace is a challenge for a lot of individuals, and a lot of leaders. So for me, there's even alignment from that early learning and development that I bring into my practice now. I think, again, being a a managing director at that time and a woman, as I mentioned to you, I, I, I met and married my husband within a year and had children very quickly. So there I was in the boardroom balancing a big business and two very young babies. I had a great nanny at home. I don't necessarily think women can have it all, but I think they can have a big part of all of it. And that's key. And I think women can actually manage life and wellness balance if they have the right support around them with their partner or with the resources they they get and also within the business. So I think for me it's interesting to see women and men in the boardroom working together to build teams. And, and that's a big part of what's in my heart and my passion and making teams their very best they can be. That's a very interesting extension of the conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it's just this idea that we have these images of what women and men are are supposed to bring. And 
I mean, that crosses into race and ethnicity as well. We have these images, we have these thoughts as to what this particular person is supposed to bring to the conversation. What has been your experience with either validating those perceptions? I'm sure you've torn down many of those perceptions. Kind of what's been your experience with that? I think... It's really important, I think we all, whoever we are and wherever we come from, we have and carry with us our own unconscious bias. And sometimes I feel that not everyone wants to recognize that. It's hidden and it's deep down, but we need to get that out for ourselves because it can be holding us back. So my own unconscious bias when I was much younger was, I've got to be better than all the guys. I've got to know it better. In fact, it was no longer unconscious. It became very conscious. Got to be better. And actually, no, I don't. I just have to be as good as. That's all I have to be. We all have to be in this together. And my area of accountability, whatever that may be, at whatever stage of the business, I just have to be really good at that and able to deliver. So I think in a sense, I was kind of validating my own concerns. But the minute you're lucky enough to find someone who helps you through, either as a leader or someone you you come through and allows you to recognize what's holding you back, what are your personal disruptors, what are your gremlins, break them out and get out there and just be what you really can be and deliver what you have to deliver. I love that. I love what you said about gremlins. I'm going to use that because a big part of the work that I've done, I usually come back to the same two types of questions uh, when I'm working with my clients. And those questions are, Is it true and does it serve you? And there are many things, many stories that we have. And I'll I'll just talk about myself here. I've got a lot of stories in my head that actually aren't true, but they serve me to think of myself as having to work twice as hard as the next person that's coming into the room. Boy, that's really helpful when I'm doing the kind of homework that I really don't want to do, but I feel like I need to work twice as hard. It's not true, but it serves me. And then there are some things that are true and they don't serve me, right? And so that usually becomes a focal point for development, for personal, honest reflections. And how can I develop that? But when things aren't true and they don't serve you, then that could be when those gremlins start coming in. What are your thoughts about those two questions? I really agree with that. And I really like that because for me, it's about the narrative we tell ourselves. It's the same thing. The narrative that we tell ourselves that we were very comfortable with 10 years ago, and maybe it even served us 10 years ago. But does it serve us today? Mm, Probably not, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm absolutely with that. And it's the habits of thinking and the habits of behaviors 
that we've allowed to stay with us. And maybe we've not been brave enough or um, wise enough to revisit some of the ways that we do things. It all sounds glossy. It sounds like coach speak, doesn't it? The narratives and the habits of behavior. But what we mean by that is the things we just keep doing in the way we've always done them and the way we continue to do them without saying, does it still suit us? Back to your question, does it still suit us? And sometimes, you know what? No, it doesn't. So what are we going to do about it? And how can we adapt to a new story about ourselves? Um, So my, uh, is working with someone, a young guy who has always been used to kind of not being successful, but actually, do you know what? He's now become really successful, yet he still carries a bit of that narrative. And I said to him one day, it's time to stand up and accept who you are today. And that's what we all have to do more of, I think. Good or bad, sometimes the who we are today might need changing a little. So we have to accept it, embrace it, decide if it's right, and move forward with the new whoever we are. Wow, that's powerful. And to your point, it's easy to say that. Yeah, It's harder and often scary to actually do the work to create a new story or to change that story. I, I give this example a lot, and this usually makes me incredibly, incredibly unpopular, particularly in New York. It's this. I hate the New York Yankees baseball team. <laughs> I hate the New York Yankees baseball team. And do you know why I hate the New York Yankees baseball team? Yes. I hate the New York Yankees baseball team because my dad hates the New York Yankees baseball team. And the reason he hates the New York Yankees baseball team is because my granddad hated the New York Yankees baseball team. And before my granddad passed away, I asked him in a very tender moment, why is it that we hate the New York Yankees baseball team? And he said, oh, well, that's very, very easy. Back in 1946, they traded my favorite player from the New York Yankees to this other team. And that team was outside of my radio coverage and I wasn't going to be able to hear him play. And so from that point on, I just hated the New York Yankees baseball team. And that's kind of how, for me, that's how stories get embedded where we're not even evaluating if they're true anymore. We just embrace them as our own story and we run with that. To your point, we run with that narrative. And I really love what you said about what may have been true in 1946 for my grandfather. We haven't really stopped to evaluate, is that still true? And it's it's funny to hear that story about the New York Yankees, but we do that with other things in our lives, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, not relevant. A friend of mine today just said, I need to buy a sofa. Where can I go? And I said, oh, you can go to this store. Oh, no, I don't want to go to that store. Why not? Well, funny enough, 10 years ago, I tried to buy something from there and the owner was rude to me. You know, I told her that that owner hasn't owned that business for eight years and it's the best business 
the best shop she can go to to buy a sofa. And she said, you know, really, maybe I should rethink. I said, I really think you should. And it's the same as your New York Yankees, you know, it's, yeah. We do that all the time. And this work in leadership and leadership development and coaching, that's become a passion of mine just because it's always the smallest things that get in the way of delivering major value. Can you think of a time or an example when one of your clients at work, maybe they had a a similar situation where it was a small, insignificant thing that they have just embedded as part of their identity. And because of that, you can see perhaps that they're missing out on all the success because of a small thing that they have made into something major as part of their identity. As part of their own personal identity or the, yeah, funny enough, and this is a small thing, (laughs) I was talking to, uh, working with a woman who actually we were talking now about Zoom meetings and remote working and uh, she's finding it difficult. And we talked around what are the positives about the Zoom calls and being isolated and so on and actually working with her team. And she said to me, well, Raina, you've never met me, but I'm only five foot. Now, Galen, you've never actually met me. And by coincidence, I'm also only five foot. And she said to me, the one thing that I really have never liked is walking into meetings and there are very, very tall men, particularly, but also tall women, and it immediately puts her on the back foot. Mm. So kind of one of the positive things about Zoom we were trying to brainstorm and find is nobody knows she's, she's five foot. And so we were talking about, okay, now when you go back to real life, how are we going to overcome this five foot? And what does it mean to you? What's happened? Why has that happened? So that's an example. And actually, when we really, really talked this through, she suddenly realized that so long as she can walk in with her own powerhouse, her own heartbeat, her own belief, and the five foot height wasn't anything about the five foot height. It was her lack of belief of her own ability in the new promotion that she had recently had as a more senior leader just before lockdown. So that was actually a small thing, but it's a big, big thing she told herself and it was holding her back. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that happens all the time, right? Where we, we take a small thing, it might be considered small to other people, right? But to us, it's a big thing and we make it, yeah. we give it more power yeah. than it probably yeah. even warrants. You know, another thing that you said is the fact that we are in kind of this state of, I wouldn't say isolation, but we're, we're kind of confined to uh, our physical space right now. Uh, hopefully that's not going to last always. There are some benefits, some things that I think businesses and leaders have learned during this time. You know, all the things that we thought were critical conducting business, come to find out they weren't critical after all, right? And I used to tell the story of, you know, if a client wanted to hire me to work with their organization in London, well, they're going to have to 
pay to put me on a plane to fly to London, and then they're going to have to pay for the hotel, and I've got to eat something while I'm there, and they're going to have to cover that. And, so and your this, whiskey. Yeah, that's right. You know, I got to give whiskey. Yeah. And so now all of those barriers have gone by the wayside, and I've got more clients outside of the United States than I do inside of the United States. What are some things that, and you you just shared like some other benefits that people have seen. What are some things that you believe that business leaders have been convinced was true about how business had to be conducted that this time of confinement has demonstrated that it's actually not true at all. It's not a limitation at all. That travel is one of them. The fact that you think that I would have to be sitting across the the table from you in order to be your your coach is probably another. What what are some others that you that you can think of? I think that a lot of leaders feel. I mean, and it is in a sense related to travel, but a lot of leaders feel in order to get things done, you've got to get a lot of people sometimes in a room. And what we're realizing now that communication can take place through different ways we can have obviously you don't want silos of teams you do want collaboration but now collaboration can look a little a little different possibly so i think it's looking at how we communicate with teams looking at how we can have a kind of it's a bit like the breakout in the zoom room it's the breakout of the team thinking and then bring everything back together again. I think also, I think businesses now are having to pivot. They're having to be so much more agile. And obviously, we we all know that the businesses that, that are really going to succeed are the businesses that are constantly re-strategizing, reviewing, you know, looking for new avenues. But I think more than ever now, Leaders and businesses are recognizing that opportunity can benefit everybody so long as there's a good business case for it. If there's not a business case, let's not look at opportunity for the sake of it. But it's waking up the sleeping, you know, the sleeping giant that's always done it in certain ways. This works. Let's not change it. Well, sometimes now we have to a little bit. Hmm. Oh, my. That's that's great. And then you mentioned collaborations and getting teams together and getting teams to work together more effectively. You know, we, we talked a little bit about our uh, shared interest in, in music. And I think that that's a great example of how the best producers, the best music producers are able to get people to work together, although they might not, they might not ordinarily have worked together. And I know that you've got a passion for Motown And I spent a little time actually in the Detroit, Michigan area and had a very, very tangential relationship with the with the Gordy family. And you lose track of the fact that most of these artists that are legendary Motown artists, they were just kids. They were just teenagers at best. Absolutely. In fact, I was just watching a program the other night because um Mary Wilson, of course, has just passed. And um, just watching a program of when they started out as kids. And I was in Detroit, which isn't too bad for a a London girl, I think. Um, 
and queuing outside. I was in line outside the, uh, the Motown place. And can you believe it? We could not get in. I was heartbroken. I just wanted to go and, and see this because I really did sort of my, my teenage years and my early years were very focused around Diana Ross and Stevie Wonder and, and everybody like that. And, um, I just love the beat of that music. I was a dancer, never been able to sing, but I absolutely was a dancer and I loved that music, you know? Wow. What is it about that kind of music or any kind of music really? um, But what is it about music that brings people together and causes them to share a vibration from your standpoint? literally share a vibration, I think, which is very often exactly what it is. I, I think there's a, there's a liberation. I think there's a, a shared values in the case that people enjoy the sound that they're getting. I think there's a relaxation. Um, music is a freedom. For me, music goes one of two ways. I'm either with the beat, down there with the beat, and that's the freedom and I'm dancing, or I'm subdued with the message of the content of the song, if we're not thinking of classical music. The message of the content, which can be very reflective and can really make you think sometimes. So I think that can bring us together, and it's a liberation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.